The Sea of Galilee is not overwhelming in its size. It's only 13 miles long, only 8 miles wide at its widest point. When we were on the boat, there was not a time when we were out of sight of land. The Sea of Galilee is further below sea level than any other freshwater lake in the world. And second only to the Dead Sea in any lake at all. It's located in a sort of natural bowl, which is why winds can blow down into the sea and create sudden violent storms. When you realize how relatively small the Sea of Galilee is, it's amazing how many things took place around that body of water during the life of Christ. It's on its shores that Jesus called his first disciples. He told Peter, Andrew, James, and John, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It was on a hill above the Sea of Galilee that he preached the Sermon on the Mount. He encountered the Gadarene maniac not far from the Sea of Galilee, and the flock of swine were drowned in its waters. Jesus fed 5,000 in the north end of the Sea of Galilee and fed 4,000 at the south end. It was in the midst of the Sea of Galilee and the storm that came that Jesus commanded, saying, Peace, be still. The Sea of Galilee is the location where there was the miraculous catch of fish. It's bordered by Capernaum where Jesus preached in the synagogue. It was on the waters of the Sea of Galilee where he asked Peter to put forth from the shore so that he could preach to the multitudes. After his resurrection, it was beside Galilee when Peter did, uh, when he did carry Peter on that walk and say to him three times, feed my sheep. And those are only a few of the highlights of the things that took place around the Sea of Galilee. But when you think about the Sea of Galilee, when it's mentioned, there's one event that most people remember the most. It's the one we read together just a few moments ago, the story of Peter walking on the water. This morning, I want us to go to that passage, and there's some things I want us to learn as we think about what it's like to have been with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. The first thing I want you to know is this. When we encounter the story of Peter walking on the water, that story took place during a critical time in Christ's life. Word had come to him that John the Baptist had been executed by Herod. You remember that story. John the Baptist had been imprisoned, and then the daughter of Herodias asked for his head on a platter, and Herod had to execute John the Baptist. And someone came to Jesus as he was in the vicinity of the Sea of Galilee and began to tell him about the story of John's death. The Lord was deeply affected by that news. There are several things I think that were going on in Jesus' life when word came to him that John the Baptist was gone. I think there was the personal grief of knowing that his husband, uh, his cousin, had been uh, killed. I think that there was that sense of isolation that came to Jesus because nobody understood him and his mission the way John the Baptist understood why Christ had come. And in a sense, they had had a partnership with one another. And now John was no longer there. Most of all, I think that the news of the death of John the Baptist meant that Jesus realized in a very deep way now it was time for him to begin his own real mission of preparing to go to the cross. 
The Bible said that after he received the news of John the Baptist's death, Jesus went to a deserted place by himself to prepare for what was to come. But when he arrived, the Bible also says this, and people began to rush to where he was from everywhere. They were coming to find him wherever he was. He had come to this place to be alone and to pray, but when he saw the multitudes, the Bible says he was moved with compassion for them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And he spent the day surrounded by all of these people who had come out into the wilderness just to spend a little time with Jesus. He taught them. He touched them. He healed them. And at the end of the day, he fed them. You remember 5,000 men plus women and children fed miraculously by five loaves and two fishes. But as darkness descended, Jesus did two things that were really important. The first one is this. He sent his disciples ahead of him to the other side of the sea. He said, you get in the boat and you go on on the other side. I will come and find you. And then as the disciples were leaving, he dismissed the crowds and he sent them all back home. And once everyone was gone, he took the time he needed to spend that necessary time with his father. Even though he hadn't had that time when he first arrived that morning, even though the crowds gathered around him before he had time to be with the Lord, he did not abandon that primary mission. Instead, as night fell, Jesus went up on the mountain and he talked to his father and he prepared his spirit and he got ready for what the Lord had in mind for him. You know, when I read that description of a single day in the life of the Savior, I'll be honest with you, it convicts me. It convicts me about my own spiritual life. How many times have I told myself I would make more time for the Lord? I would spend some time praying. I would seek him in his word. I would make time for God in my life. But the truth is, just today, just today, things are just too busy. I've got too many people that I have to pay attention to. I've got appointments that I have to follow through on. There's reasons that I have to start early and stay late. And Lord, you understand. You understand it's not that I don't want to spend time with you. It's that I just don't have the time to give you. I'll make it up another day. This passage when you read about Jesus who after having spent an incredible day having dealt with the loss of, of his cousin John the Baptist and seen the need of the people and spent his day with them and having taken time to provide for them this Jesus who if anybody ever had a reason to say you know I'm just exhausted Instead said, now I make time. I make time for the thing that matters the most. And he spent time with his father. Reminds me that Jesus knew what I forget too many times. That being in the presence of God is not a convenience or a luxury. It is a necessity. That spending time with the Father is something not that I 
would like to do or I know I ought to do. It's something I have to do if I'm going to be the person that God has made me to be. Because it's during those times we're empowered and equipped and enabled to live out the eternal life that is ours in Christ. And when we neglect that time with him, we always know things are not right. And when we allow one day to become two days and two days to become three days and three days to become a week and a week to become a month, then we recognize everything is wrong in my life. The day comes when you realize I'm empty. I have nothing left. I haven't spent time with the Lord. And apart from those times with the Lord, we're not ready for what may come our way. If Jesus was desperate for time with the Father, how can we pretend that we can flourish without it? No matter how busy we think we are. And that's what makes what happened to the disciples next so important. You see, while Jesus was on the mountain, his disciples were struggling to reach their destination. Listen to how the Bible describes their situation. It says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. What is the Bible saying to us? It is saying this. They were in the middle of the water, struggling to reach their destination, but everything was harder than they thought it would be. They should have arrived much sooner. They assumed they would already be at their destination. The task should have been so much easier than it was, but there they were in the middle of the night, straining at the oars, trying to make any progress because they're fighting the wind and the waves at every stroke. Every time they try to make a little progress, they really are taking two steps forward and one step back because they're fighting the wind and they're fighting the waves and they're doing their best to make progress. And it seems as though they're not getting anywhere. Now understand, at this point, the disciples are not in the middle of a raging sea. They're not in the middle of a storm where they're afraid that the boat is going to sink. At this point, they're simply fighting the resistance of the wind and the waves and finding that it was so hard to get to where they wanted to go. What was the problem? Very simply, Jesus was not with them. They were trying to accomplish the task apart from him. Because Jesus was not there, they were finding the going so hard. Because Jesus was not a part of their journey, they were struggling to make their way across the sea. Because that's how it really is, isn't it? Isn't it funny how we can convince ourselves we don't have time to bring the needs of our lives to him. We don't have time to spend with the Lord. Our lives are so busy. And when we do all of that, we always make life so much harder than it has to be. We're doing our best to find our way through life. And the truth is, I'm doing it without his wisdom. I'm doing it without his guidance. I'm doing it without his answered prayers because I never took time to pray them. And apart from an active reliance on the Lord, life becomes a burden. You try to bear it in your own strength. And these disciples were in the boat, in the middle of the sea, apart from the Lord, without his presence. And because of that, everything seemed so hard. It always does, doesn't it? 
Have you ever been through that experience in your own life? That time where you're trying to do something and it seems like the right thing, it seems like the thing you want to do, it seems like the thing you ought to do, and yet everything you try just seems to be so hard. It seems as though no matter where you turn, all you encounter is resistance. Life seems to be pushing back at you and you don't know how to break through. And then you stop and you realize, you know, I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do it without the Lord. The most frightening things are, and there are times when I'm trying to do it without the Lord, and I think what I'm doing is something I'm doing for the Lord. You know, I'm trying to do something that's really important and seems very spiritual, and yet I'm not getting anywhere. What's going on? Well, I haven't invited the Lord to be the Lord. And these disciples are trying their best to make progress. They're trying to get to their destination, but they're not getting there very quickly. And the reason is because they're trying to do it, and Jesus is not with them. Which is why the next thing that happened is so important, because Jesus came to them where they were. In the middle of the night, the Bible says, the disciples saw a figure coming toward them, But he was not in a boat. He was walking on the water. And they cried out to one another, I think it's a ghost. Isn't it funny how your theology disappears when you're frightened to death? Because nobody ever told these disciples it's a ghost. All they know is there's this thing out there on the water. There's this figure. It looks like a man. But it can't be a man because it's on top of the water. What can it be? It's a ghost. We're afraid. They were terrified at what they were seeing, but then they heard that voice they knew so well. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And they realized it's the one that's not with us. It's Jesus. That's him on the water. Except that's not exactly What Jesus said, what Jesus literally said between be of good cheer and do not be afraid is this phrase, I am. Not it is I. I am. The same I am that Moses heard from the burning bush. The same thing Jesus told his critics when he declared before Abraham was, I am. It's the same way Jesus described himself when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Essentially what Jesus was telling his disciples that night was this. In the midst of the wind and the waves, at the center of the struggle of your life, God is with you and he is me. Wow. Don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. I am. And they recognized God was up to something incredible. No wonder Peter cried out uh, impulsively and said, If it is you, then tell me to come and walk to you on the water. 
And you remember how it went. Everything went well until he was distracted by the winds and the waves. His attention turned away from the Savior and all he could see was the circumstances around him. What happened to Peter? When he stepped out onto the water, this is what I think. He had said, if you are the Son of God, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. And he stepped out and he put his foot on the water. I don't think he leapt out of the boat, do you? I think he put one foot down and then another and then another. And suddenly he realized this is not if you are the Son of God. This is because you are the Son of God. Because you're the Son of God, call on me and I'll come walking to you. And he got about halfway there. And then what happened? The if began to find its way back into his life. As he looked at the circumstances around himself and the obstacles he was facing and the danger he had placed himself in, I think he began to think, can Jesus really do this? Is he really who I think he is? And immediately... He began to sink. He had to be reminded Jesus is the Son of God. And how did he learn that? This may be my favorite part of the whole story. My favorite part of the whole story is when he is sinking, when Jesus was very justified and looking at the other 11 disciples in the boat and saying to them, you see, see what's happening to him? He's headed for the bottom, 140 feet deep, I think they said, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He's headed straight for the bottom and it serves him right because he doubted me. Now, don't you ever doubt me. Wouldn't that be a great lesson? The truth is that would probably be the Jim Cooley version of that story. But what did Jesus do? In the midst of a man who was struggling and sinking, he grabbed him and he pulled him back up again. And he said, Peter, next time, next time, You'll trust me. Next time, you'll get it right. In the meantime, Peter, I don't just love you when you're getting it right. I love you when you're getting it wrong. And he pulled him back up again. And then together, they returned to the other disciples and the boat. And when they got into the boat, everything changed. The sea was still. The wind ceased. They began to make their way to the other side. And all the fear went away. There was only one way for the disciples to respond. The Bible says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, this is what I want you to see this morning. More than anything, I want you to see this. When Jesus revealed himself to them, he declared, I am. When he got into the boat and they worshiped him there, they responded, you are. I am became you are. 
And that's important because every one of us needs those two moments in our life. We need that time when the Lord reveals himself powerfully and personally. When he comes to you right where you are in the midst of your heart, in the midst of your life, with all the circumstances going on, and he says to you, I am. I am Jesus. I am God. I am the only one who can save you. You need to understand there is nothing and no one else in all of the world like me. I am am the Savior. None of us can find God on our own, but he reveals himself to each of us. And it's in that moment when you know he is real and it is true. Because Jesus has said to you, not to us, not to everybody around you, he has said to you, I am. And you know you're in the presence of God. And then we all need to experience that moment when you respond with all of your heart. You are. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. I trust you with my life this morning nothing in all the world is more important than for you to hear him say to you I am except for you to respond to him you are and I trust you so I guess the question I have to ask you this morning is what have you heard the Lord say to your life have you had that heart-to-heart, life-to-life encounter with him where you recognize Jesus is saying, I am Lord, I am here, I want to save you, I want to change your life for eternity, I am. And if you've heard him say that in your heart, have you had that moment, that instant, that commitment when you said to him, Jesus, you are. I'm trusting you. I'm giving you my life. I follow you. You are my Lord. If you've never had that experience this morning, then there is absolutely nothing you need more than that heart-to-heart, life-to-life encounter with God himself in Jesus Christ who says, I am the Lord. I am the Savior. I am here to take care of you if you will trust me. And then you have to ask the question, am I willing to say to him, you are, I trust you, I surrender to you, you are the Lord of my life. If you've never had that experience this morning, I want to encourage you to do exactly that. In just a minute, when we sing our invitation hymn, I'm going to be here at the front, Dr. Hutchins is going to be here at the front. We would love to meet you and introduce you to the one who loves you, the one who wants to come into the storms of your life, the one who wants to redeem you and give you eternal life to help you to say to him, you are my Savior because I have made the personal decision. I will trust you. If you need to be saved today in a moment when we sing, you come to the front and we'll meet you here and we'll introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you need to come and be a part of what God is doing at First Baptist Church. And this is the place you need to plant your membership. 
and to say to him, I serve you in this place. Or maybe there's another decision, something he's dealing with you in your heart of hearts, and it's very personal, it's very real, but you know you just need to have someone pray with you about that commitment. Is there something God's calling you to do? We're going to stand, we're going to sing our invitation hymn, and as we sing, you come. Let's stand together and let's sing.